Let's just start with this. My family, we love to have a great time during Halloween season. In fact, uh, my kids, uh, we team up with the Traw Rig kids. Uh, my sister, her husband, he's on staff and, and live, live nearby. And so we, we combine with the cousins. And, and so every year it's themed. It, it started with Star Wars. Uh, the next year was the Avengers. Yep, that's right. That's right. Um, then, then I think we went up a level because it was Justice League. I'm a DC fan, so... Uh, so we had Justice League there. Uh, the next year, it was Ninja Turtles. Now, I know technically there's four, but when you have that many cousins, you improvise. So uh, you've got Splinter the Rat there. Um, oh, my sister's running slides, and she threw that in. She just did that to me. That's us growing up, and that's me in pantyhose or whatever, or stockings. That was really mean of her. That was really mean of her. She told me she was going to get me. She did. All right. <laughs> All righty. Um, all right. I wasn't expecting that. All right. So uh, it was Power Rangers the next year. Um, when we hit the number seven, we went for Snow White and the Seven Doors. Uh, you can see which one's not happy. That's the <laughs> one there. Yeah. And, uh, and then last year, we went for uh, Descendants 2. So that was, we were getting a little older now. So trying to, uh, you, you don't even know what that movie is, do you? <laughs> some of you have got some preteens and have the Disney Channel. You know Descendants 2. All right. Uh, Halloween, it's, it's a fascinating, a fascinating um, holiday. It, you have to go back about 2,000 years to find its origin. You have to go back to the Celts who lived in northern France and parts of the United Kingdom. And, uh, and, and you go to them. They, they, they celebrated New Year's Day on November 1st. That was their New Year's celebration, and so, which was a celebration, but it was also... Uh, kind of a time they were not looking forward to because it ushered in the winter holidays. And with winter and the cold weather, they associated that with our crops are going to die. Sickness is going to spread. Uh, many of our people died for the Celts. And so, so what they did was on October 31st, the night before, uh, they took matters into their own hands. They dressed up in animal skins. They offered uh, some burning vegetables and sacrifices to the gods and demigods hoping to appease them or scare away the evil ones before they brought uh, too much of a bad winter with them. And they did this for about a thousand years until the Holy Roman Empire came and took over their land. And, and the Holy Roman Empire, they decided to Christianize this holiday season. And so they decided on November 1st, they would call it All Saints Day or All Hallows Day. And the night before would be All Hallows Eve, which is where we get Halloween and and they would still dress up, and they would dress up as saints and, or dress up as angels or demons in order to scare away demons. And, and then when those European immigrants, when they came over to the United States, uh, we, we took this and made this a holiday of our own. And we used this in the United States as an excuse to party. Uh, we used it the American way. Uh, we, we would use this as a get-together. All the townsfolk would get together and have bonfires and, and uh, celebration. And, and while all the adults were together, this was a great opportunity for the kids, the preteens, the teens, to go ahead and, play, and pray, uh, pranks and play pranks and, and tricks on all those abandoned houses and, and vandalize the properties. And so the adults wised up and they said, well, if we don't want the teenagers to play a trick on us, we will have to bribe them with a treat. And, uh, and so, so for years now, we have been paying off teenagers with candy to, that's where it came from, uh, to, to not smash their pumpkins or egg our houses, and, and really we've just been sugaring, sugaring them up for the next victim. And, uh, but that's, that's where that comes from. That's the American part of it. And Halloween, interesting holiday, but we, uh, 
it's always been, in its origins, it's always been about fear. Whether it was fear of a very bad winter, whether it was fear of evil spirits or demigods, or fear of sugared up teenagers, it's always been about fear. And fear itself is not bad. In fact, it just matters who or what we fear. You see, because throughout the Bible, there's all these scriptures that tell us to fear God. Scripture after scripture say, hey, if you want to follow God, then you need to fear God. And they don't just tell us to fear God, they give some promises with them. They say, if you fear God, these scriptures say, well, it ushers in blessings, wisdom, knowledge, prolonged life, riches, protection, provision, deliverance, favor, confidence, uh, uh, trust, stability, salvation, success, satisfying sleep, happiness, just to name a few. In fact, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, if you want to find meaning in life, all meaning in life can be summed up into the idea of to fear God and keep his commandments. And I think if we were just honest for a moment, if we just had a moment of honesty in here this morning, then I think there's, we would kind of agree that we don't like the idea of fearing God. What I mean is nobody wants a scary God. That, that's a hard sell. That, that's very unattractive. It's hard to get your neighbor to come to church and go, hey, come check out our church with this big, scary God. You're going to love it. He wants you to draw close. He's terrifying. I mean, it just <laughs> it doesn't work so well. And, and, and so there, there's, there's this part where we kind of, I don't know, kind of act almost like it's not there. But there's all these scriptures about fearing God. In fact, 3%. Of our population in the United States claim to be atheists, which means about 97% of us believe in some sort of God. And we may believe in a loving God. Some people believe in a distant God or a mean God. But not too many people going around claiming a scary God. And I think there's a reason for that. And I think it goes back to our sin nature. It goes back to our problem from the beginning of time. And that is, we don't want to give God that much credit. I mean, that's pride. We don't want to make a big deal of God. We'd rather make a big deal of us. And, and so we, we begin to, whether we mean it or not, we slip into it. We, we start chasing after us as God, trying to build ourselves as God, trying to take control of our lives, trying to do whatever we can to manipulate the circumstances so they'll go our way. And, and so we'll, we'll spend a lot more time making a big deal of us and, and not so much time making a big deal about God. And the irony is, the irony is, is when we pursue ourselves as God... Well, then we end up becoming enslaved to lesser gods. And that's some scary stuff. I want to talk about this morning this guy in the Bible who believed himself to be a god. And what made it worse was the majority of the world agreed with him. His name's Pharaoh. He's, he's, you've got to go back about 3,500 years. And he has the greatest empire that he has built for himself at that time. And, and over the last three weeks, Kurt's been sharing the story in Exodus about Moses. In fact, now's a good time if you want to pull out your app or download the Harborside uh, Church app, and you can follow along with the sermon notes and these scriptures and the fill in the blanks. But, but we've been hearing that, that God had something he wanted Moses to share with Pharaoh. And so Moses goes into the presence of Pharaoh and, and delivers this message that God, the God of the Hebrews, the Lord uh, of the Jews, he wants you, Pharaoh, to let your Jewish slaves go. Let them be free so they can go into the desert and worship their God. And, and Pharaoh has a very important question back to Moses. And it shows up in Exodus, Exodus chapter 5. 
Verse 2, Pharaoh just said, who is the Lord? Who's this God you're talking about that I should obey him? Why your God? We got plenty of gods here in Egypt. In fact, I'm a God. Why should I dare listen and obey your God? And maybe for some of you, you're sitting there and you wonder that this morning. You go, well, why not Allah? Uh, why am I not, you know, why not Buddhism? Why not Hinduism? Why, why this God? Uh, for some, why not me? Why can't I just be humanistic and be my own God? What, what's wrong with that? What's, what's wrong with me taking care of me? In fact, I would challenge you, no matter if you're a person of faith and you follow Jesus or not this morning, I would challenge you to dare to ask the question this morning, who are you, God, that I should obey you? Who is the Lord that we should obey him? And then I would brace yourself like a man because God often likes to answer those type of questions in a way that grabs our attention. And so Pharaoh asked this question, who is this Lord that I should even bother to obey him? And God says, I'm going to give you an answer. In fact, I'm going to answer you in ten ways with ten plagues. And he's going to rain out ten plagues on Egypt. And you've probably heard this before. And I know sometimes we hear the story of the ten plagues. And, and the assumption may be, well, this is just ten mean things God does to the Egyptians. Or, or this is just ten ways God shows how powerful he is. And they're just random. And, but they're actually not random at all. They're very strategic, and God picks ten different ways to, to answer the question, who is God, that we should obey him. And, and let's just start with the first one. It's very strategic what he does. Um, it says that Moses raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials, and he struck the water of the Nile, and all the blood, I'm sorry, how the water was changed into blood. The fish in the Nile died, and the river smelled so bad that the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. You see, the Egyptians worshipped another god named Happy, which I just think is ironic. I think some of us keep chasing after Happy. And, uh, <clears throat> and Happy was the god of the Nile River. If you were to Google map Egypt right now, you would just see desert, except for this big river that comes through the middle, and there's green all around where the river is, and desert past that. In fact, if it wasn't for the Nile River, Egypt would just be desert. But no, they have this Nile River that brings about an abundance of life and allows the Egyptians to grow to such a massive empire. And their assumption is, well, it's Happy's doing. He brought us the Nile. He keeps the Nile flowing. And and so as long as we're friends with Happy and pursuing Happy, then, uh, then we'll always have an abundance of life. And the Lord of the Hebrews says, well, let me show you who's God here. Let me answer your question. Who is God that I should obey him? Let me do something that happy can't stop. Let me turn this fresh water into bloody water. And let me show you that only I, God, provide abundant life. You see, today, you you could have a good life without God. I'm not going to deny that. You just can't have the best life without God. And God sets out to prove that. Now, God shows up even in our lives and, and says, hey, I've got something big for you. I've got something full for you. And a lot of times, our reaction is the same as Pharaoh's. In other words, Pharaoh does this. He says, he would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Instead, he turned and went back into his palace, and he did not even take this to heart. You see, God often shows up in our life with a challenge, with something great for us, saying, hey, I've got some full life for you. I've got something abundant. I've got an idea that's going to take your faith and take your walk to the next level. And we just go, whoa, let's pretend we didn't hear that, God. Whoa, 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 no, no, la, 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 la. Well, you know, we, we, I didn't hear nothing. 
In fact, I'd rather just turn away from what you just said in this service. I'd rather turn away from what I just heard in this message. I'd rather just turn away from what I just read in this verse. And I want to go back into my world, into my palace, into my kingdom. Because I feel in control over here. That's scary over there. That's scary to to, to think what could happen if I was to listen to you. And so we'll turn and we'll act like this is enough for us. We don't need that. We don't need, oh, God, whatever he's saying. Let's pretend he didn't say it. In fact, we know the Egyptians, they dug ditches along the Nile River. In other words, they're trying to filter out the bloody water by letting it go through the muddy, muddy, muddy. And so here they are. I mean, some of you won't drink tap water. And, uh, and here they are trying to go, oh, we'll drink the muddiest, slightly less bloody water and act like that's okay. Act like that's nourishing. Act like that's satisfying. And God goes, fine. If I can't get your attention with blood, how about some frogs? Why does he pick frogs? You see, there's this popular goddess that they worship named Heket. She was a frog-headed goddess. And you went to Heket because she was the goddess of, of relationships and fertility. And so if you wanted to snag that boy, you went ahead and offered a sacrifice to Heket. If you wanted to sweep that girl off her feet, you first, before you went on the date, offered a little sacrifice to Heket. If you got that boy or girl and you wanted to start making a family, you wanted a blessed family, you would offer sacrifices to Heket to get her on your side so you could take control of your life. You'd worship Heket. And God's going, yeah, I don't think so. It doesn't matter how many magazines you read, how many people you go to advice. When if, you want, if you want relationship and family blessings, when then, then only I, God, can provide those family blessings. You see, sometimes we think we can take control of our relationships and it won't it won't do any damage. In other words, we can keep God out of the picture, his, his advice out of the picture, and we act like it won't do anything. We can go, we think, you know what, I'm going to control my own relationships. I don't even need people. I'll just go over to this computer screen right here. I'll just find myself a dark room, go into some dark places, and it's just me and the screen, and whatever happens, happens. And that's it. That's where it stops. But that's not what happens with our relational sin. It does what the frogs did. In other words... Pharaoh got sick of the frogs and he begged Moses, please tell your God to stop letting frogs come out of the Nile. And so Moses prayed and God did something to the frogs. This is what happened. It says the frogs died in the houses, in the courtyards, in the fields. They were piled into heaps and the land reeked of them. You see, our relational sin will always go farther than we want it to. It'll start creeping into our homes, creeping into our rooms, creeping into our marriage bed, creeping into our children's beds. And then it will just die, rot, and reek. And for some of this this, this morning, it's time to get rid of some of those heaps and clean some house. Stop putting our faith in these other things that want our attention. Stop becoming enslaved to lesser gods and realize that only God brings family blessings. You know, the, the Egyptians, when you see their hieroglyphics, there's kind of the stereotype about the Egyptians back then. They, they always seem to be kind of lounging around in nice furniture, hanging out by the Nile River. They just have pets everywhere because they got nothing better to do. They're just living in luxury and in their comfort. And, and they were a very wealthy, very comfortable society. In fact, they worshipped this, this other god. Um, his name's Geb, and, uh, or Jeb, if uh, your country. And... Uh, and <laughs> it depends. You know, you're the country Egyptian. Uh, and, and the thing about Jeb, uh, he was the god of the earth. And they just assumed whatever you plant in the earth, it's going to come up and be wonderful and, be, and flourish. Because that was their luck. 
I mean, they would just plant stuff in the ground. All of a sudden, it just grew a whole bunch, and it created uh, some great wealth, which created great comfort for them. And they go, we got Jeb. We got Geb. It doesn't matter. We got comfort in our lives. And God says, you know what's uncomfortable? Gnats. Gnats are uncomfortable. He says, when Aaron stretched out his hand with the staff and struck the dust on the ground, Jeb's territory, by the way, gnats came on people and animals. In other words, I don't care how fancy your lawn furniture is. I don't care what you paid to upgrade your grill, you know, over the summer. If you've got an infestation of gnats, you're going inside. It's just how it works. Things get uncomfortable fast when gnats show up. In fact, it's ironic because we live in in this day and age where we can afford relaxation massages, where we can buy that sleep number bed, where we can take vacations and go anywhere in the world, and yet we're still anxious, stressed, and depressed more than we've ever been. Why? Why? we got the same problem as the Egyptians, and that's only God can provide true comfort for our soul. Only he allows us to sleep through the night. Nothing else can satisfy this. Nothing else. And I think it's, it's interesting, too, that, um, well, one, God calls us the Holy Spirit, the true comforter, right? His presence within our life is where we get real comfort. I also think it's interesting that this is the first plague where the Egyptian magicians, they come to Pharaoh and they go, Pharaoh, hey, we can make that whole water turn into, at least turn red or turn into blood type stuff, or, or we can make frogs come out of our sleeves. But this whole gnat thing, we have no clue how Moses is doing this. In fact, we'd recommend you listen to him because whatever God he's serving is beginning to press his finger down upon us. But Pharaoh still decides not to listen, so God ups the game with flies, and so you see, flies, they, they had this, this one god they would worship named Capri, and he was a fly-headed god. Um, he also had some beetle-like features. And the idea was the Egyptians didn't understand where flies and beetles came from, so they just assumed that they came out of nowhere. They always showed up inconveniently. They just seemed to be everywhere. There's no end to them. So they just said they must come from this god Capri, and Capri must have this ability to create life from nothing. <laughs> it's obvious because flies and beetles. And, and God goes, you want to see some life from nothing? How about some swarms of flies like you've never seen before? I'll show you. I'll show you that only I, God, provide new life. Only I can can give you a new start. Only I can take your ruin and turn it into something beautiful. And so God shows flies like they've never seen before in the land of Egypt, proving that I, God, provide new life. And then... He goes, he goes from new life to how about death? He begins to, the next plague is to kill all the Egyptian livestock. And this was a direct attack on the god Apis. Apis was a god the Egyptians uh, worshipped, shaped like a bull. And, this, and Apis represented economic success and wealth. I think it's interesting that when the Israelites become free of the Egyptians, there's one god they begin to run back to right away. In fact, they they melt down all their jewelry, and what do they build? A golden calf. They build Apis. There's something about wealth and money that's hard to let go of. I mean, we have a lot of security built up in our wealth, in our economy. I mean, that's the American dream. We, we want to start our own business or build our own business and, and then hand it off, build, build ourselves a kingdom and a legacy that's of economic wealth. And we want to hand it off to our kids and then have them hand it off to the grandkids and go, look what we built. Do you know that 90% of businesses in the United States are family-owned businesses? 
90% family-owned businesses following the American dream, less than a third of those businesses will make it into the hands of, into the, hands of the second generation successfully without the business falling apart. Less than a third will go from the people who started the business into the hands of the kids. Less than 50% of that third will make it into the hands of the grandkids. In other words, there's a great chance that you could build for yourself some wealth. There's a great chance that you could build for yourself some business. There's an even greater chance that your grandkids are going to throw it all away. That's how the stats work. That's how it is. And, And so... God's going, you can do it, you can try, go after Apis, or you can realize that only God provides a lasting success and legacy. Only God gives us financial wealth that can last and and create a legacy. So then God goes from wealth, and he goes ahead and he attacks health. In fact, it says, Moses and Aaron, they took soot from a furnace. They stood before Pharaoh, Moses tossed the soot into the air, and festering boils, these sores broke out on all the people. Now, this was a direct attack on this goddess named Isis. Isis was the goddess of health. She's the goddess of health, and, and God's going, look, only I can provide whole health. I, I think irony is not lost on God. In other words, he had him take the ashes. He had him take the soot from the furnace. And, and the furnace, you may go, what furnace? These are the furnaces that Pharaoh was using so that his slaves, the Hebrews, they had to go to these furnaces and bake the bricks. Bake the bricks to build Pharaoh's empire. And so this ash, this, these furnaces, this was a, a physical representation of the power of Pharaoh. And then God says, hey, let's take a physical represent, representation of your power and use it as a representation of my power. <laughs> Have you ever been in that situation where it's something that represents how well you think you are doing, all of a sudden that very thing works against you? You know, it was a Halloween season not too long ago that my wife and I, we decided to take uh, our children to Legoland, where around Halloween time they do something called brick or treat. And, uh, and so the kids dressed up in costumes, they get to go to all these different stations in Legoland and just load up on candy. And so that's what we did. We took our kids, they loaded up, ate a ton of candy, uh, rode on rides, it was a sunny day. We topped the day off with Tijuana Flats, where kids with Legoland passes eat for free. So just bonus. And, uh, and so it's a great day. We're like, we're the best parents ever. And so, <laughs> so that night, we're driving home in the man van. That's what I call it to feel better about my minivan. Um, <laughs> Driving home in the man van and uh, trucking along. And, uh, and if you're parents, you, you've heard this sound that comes from the back seat, like a nightmare. Um, starts as a cough, turns to a gag, and then you just hear what sounds like liquid spewing out from, from everywhere. And not the clear liquid, the chunky kind. Yeah, the... And I look back in my rearview mirror, and I see my son Parker covered in bits of candy and salsa. And, uh, yeah. And so we pull over to the side of the road. We pull over to the side of the road. We get Parker cleaned up. We're like, oh, man, that's terrible. And we start going back down the road, and I hear the sound again. The cough, the gag, the spew. I look back in my rearview mirror, and there's Parker completely clean. I look next to Parker, and his brother Mason has just hurled all over himself. And then I watch as Parker looks over at Mason, turns back, and then spews himself. 
It was the worst ride anywhere I can ever imagine as my sons just tried to outpuke each other all the way home. It's terrible. Terrible. And here we went from thinking we are the best, you know, parents ever. Look at the candy and the fun we can supply for our kids and quickly realize, no, 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 we're not as smart as we think we are. And God loves to show up and remind us that we're not God. We're not as smart as we think we are. We're not as important as we think we are. We're not that big and as great as we think we are. He's God. We are not. And so for the rest of the plagues, God will just show his might. In fact, we know that for the next plague, he, he goes after this goddess called Nut. That's just what I'm calling her. Uh, she, she, is the goddess, um, she is the goddess of weather. And God rains down a hailstorm that Nut can't even stop. A hailstorm, this is like Egypt has never seen before. It just destroys everything. I think we have this fascination with weather. We love to try and predict the weather and prepare for the weather. But we live in Florida, which generally has nice weather. I mean, today is a beautiful day. But we know eventually a hurricane's coming. We know it. And, and we know that as much as we predicted and stuff, we don't know if it's turning at the last minute. We don't know if it's speeding up before it hits us. We don't know if it's actually going to hit us. And so we have this saying, and that as we prepare for the worst and hope for the best. Because we know that our future, no matter how hard we predict it, how hard we plan it, we can't come up with it. Because future blessing only comes from God. Only God provides future blessing. And then God ups the ante and goes with locusts. Locusts was a direct attack on this god they worshipped called Seth. Seth was the god of order and disorder. And so the Egyptians, believe me, they're feeling like life is out of order right now. And if you felt like your life was out of order and you needed some peace, you would quickly hurry, run to Seth, offer him a sacrifice so you could take control back of your life. The problem is the Egyptians are probably doing that in this moment, going, we got to do something. But Seth is not responding. But God shows up. Who is this God that we should obey him? He says, I'm the God who brings locusts, so much so that the ground looks black. So much so that says there's nothing green left in Egypt. He's going, only I, God, can bring peaceful order to your life. That's it. Only God can bring the peaceful order to our lives. And then if you have ever watched the History Channel or any documentary on Egypt, we know that they were sun worshipers. And so God goes for Amun-Ra, the sun god. How does he attack Amun-Ra? It says total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or move about for three days. And in this one, I think God is just showing his immensity. He's going, I'm not just the God who can manipulate things on earth. I can make planets obey my will. I can make stars go dark. I'm the God of the universe. If you want to try and wrap your mind around the immensity of God, just take a moment. Imagine the expanse of our universe and then go bigger. God's going, yeah, I'm kind of scary. I'm a really big God. And then think about yourself in relation. We are really small people. In fact, there's no reason why any of us should have any significance compared to the expanse of of the universe and a creator God who created it all. The only significance we we can get is from something bigger saying we're worth it. And that's where God says, only God can provide us with real significance. 
And then the last plague happened. Is this the worst one of all? It says, this is what the Lord says. About midnight, I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the female slave, there will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than has ever been or ever will be again. Then you will know, then you'll know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. You see, God's last attack is on Pharaoh. Pharaoh, who believed he was the supreme God of Egypt. He was the protector of his people. He could save them from anything. And God's going, no, you don't do the saving. In fact, you're not even going to be able to save your own household, let alone your own people. That only God can provide us with salvation. You see, if you, if you were a Hebrew, if you were a captured people back in that day, it meant that the people who conquered you were better people than you. It meant that their gods were better gods than your God. And it meant you became the property of those people and the property of those gods. But the God of Hebrews says, no, no. I'm your God, and I choose you as my people. You're my people now, and I'm going to show you what I think of you. And you know, God doesn't choose the Jews because they're super smart, because they're super successful, because they're super obedient or pure. God distinguishes his people by who wants to be saved by this God. And he still does today. Who is God that you should obey him? He's the God who wants to save you. He'd love for you to be his people, and he'll know you're his people if you say, God, I want you to save me. And you may say, well, I don't know if I want to draw close to this God. He's scary. He's big. He's got a lot of wrath going on here. Lately, I feel like I've been doing my, father, my fatherly duty and taking my two sons, and we, we've started watching all the Rocky movies. We've got through Rocky 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. We're on 6. And I have confirmed, going back through the Rocky movies, that Rocky 4 is the best Rocky movie. And here's why. Because of the plot line. In Rocky IV, Rocky isn't dealing with some internal conflict. He's not deciding, is he too fearful to fight? Is, is he too arrogant to fight? Is he, does he need to get some things in order? No. The plot line of Rocky IV is simply this. Drago, the enemy, you killed my friend whom I love, so we're going to fight. That's the plot line. Everybody else has to get on board with Rocky. You killed my friend whom I love, so now you know what? We're going to fight. And the plot line to Rocky Four is the plot line to Exodus. God says, Pharaoh, you have been hurting and killing the people I love for too long. So now we're going to fight. And if you want to understand God's wrath, then you've got to start to wrap your mind around God's love. Because the two are interconnected. The immensity of his wrath is reflected in the immensity of his love. Parents, you know this. The day my daughter was born and I held her in my arms was the day I realized I could kill a man. You know what I'm saying? It's the day I realized that this child who I hold, who's so precious to me, who I love so much, who is under my protection, that if anybody was to do anything to harm her. Well, they better go hide, leave the country, or come up with something because they're about to experience my wrath. And 
God looks at each and every one of, of us in this room. And even beyond the walls, the people are not here. And he longs to hold them. And he longs to look at them and love them so much that the thought of any sin starting to destroy their life, he would do whatever it takes to rid them of that sin, to kill that sin, to put that sin to death. He loves us so much, he will do whatever it takes to destroy our enemy, the devil. He loves us so much, his wrath is so great. And because of this, we have a choice. In fact, for the first five plagues, it says that Pharaoh had a choice, and, and each time it just says, Pharaoh, no, he hardened his heart and would not listen to this God. And then at the last five plagues, it just says Pharaoh's heart was hardened. So as if he didn't even have a choice, and God just used it anyway. The Puritans used to say that the same sun that melts the snow is the same sun that hardens the clay. You see, for some of us, God's trying to get our attention, trying to say, I got something better for you. I've got an abundance of life. And for some of us, our hearts begin to melt. And we go, okay, God, I get it. Whoa, I get it. I've been wrong. You were right. You know what? I've been Lord. It hasn't been working out. So you know what? You're Lord now. You're Lord. And we'll go from there. But for some of us, we've gotten used to it so many times. God shows up and says, I love you. I want to hold you in my arms. I, I, I have something better for you. And we're so used to saying, no, nope, no, nope, I want to act like I didn't hear. La, la, la. I don't want to have anything to do with it. No, God, you know the drill. It's my will, not your will. And our hearts become so hardened. And we become slaves to our own pride. We become slave to lesser gods and lesser pursuits. We become slave to our wealth, slave to our lust, slave to our own achievement. You see, the problem has always been about slavery. It's always the problem. You say, well, I'm pursuing my, my own God. I'm pursuing freedom. Freedom is not the ability to do whatever you would like to do. Freedom is the ability to live the life you were created to live. And you were created to live for this God created by this God to live for this God. And so the problem has always been slavery, and the answer is always this God. As we get ready to close this morning, there's just one other thought I want to share with you. People have had the chance throughout history, throughout the many scriptures of the Bible, to decide to fear the Lord. In the moment they have feared the Lord, there's this other phrase that shows up in the Bible. In fact, it shows up 365 times. And that is the phrase, do not be afraid. 365 times. It's enough reminder for each day of the year to remember that when we wake up and go, okay, God, you are Lord today. I fear you. God goes, great. Now you don't have to be afraid because I got you. So this morning, before we leave this building, you have an opportunity. I'm going to close this in prayer. I'm going to, uh, as I pray, I'm going to ask the prayer partners to come forward. It doesn't have to stop there. If today, if today is the day for you to go, you know what? I get it. My heart is melted. I'm done trying to be Lord of my life. It hasn't worked out. It doesn't seem like it's working anytime soon. So God, I'm going to let you be Lord of my life. I, I want you to save me. I want you to be, uh, I want to be your people. And so I'm letting you know I want you to save me and I want you to be Lord. And if you need to make that decision today, I'm going to invite you, as everybody's walking that way, you walk this way and you pray with our prayer partners and they let them lead you through that decision. And for some of us, we've, we made that decision long ago, but we've somehow fallen off track. We've somehow, we got caught up worshiping lesser gods. And that's all right. Today's the day to clean house. Today's the, the day to repent. 
and go, whoops, I've started to become my own Lord again. Whoa, 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 back up, back up. Wait, God, you are Lord. And today I remember that. And it affects how I leave this building today. The answer to the question, who is this God that we should obey him? The answer to that question determines what we do next. Beyond these walls, the words we say, the actions we do. The answer to that question changes everything. I'm going to pray. Prayer partners, come forward. If you need to make a decision today or just need some prayer, I'm going to invite you to walk this way. Everybody else walks that way. Let's pray. Father God, we're your people. And we give you our lives. Today, we give you our lives, Lord. Not that they're anything significant, but God, you said they were, so we're giving them back to you. You said we're significant, so we give it back to you. You are Lord, we are not. You are a loving God. You are an immense God. You are a scary God. But you showed us that you are a loving God and you loved us enough to fight for us. And you showed us that through Jesus. You showed us it through Jesus. And so, Lord, we do everything we do from here in his name. Amen. You're dismissed.